0: Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you know, as we have been looking at this prayer of the Apostle Paul, as he begins in verse 14, talking about bowing his knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and and I'll explain to you that there are many types of postures in Scripture with regards to people in praying. That is not necessarily what Paul is saying, that you, you need to bow down on your knees when you pray. It's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing to do that. Uh, when you're in a corporate setting, such as we are this morning, it's much more difficult. We don't have kneeling benches to bow down to. But there are prayers of those standing up, prayers that are on the shipboard. Uh, there are prayers in temples and synagogues. There are prayers all over in, in, with regards to Scripture in different postures that we see uh, with those that are praying. So he's not specifically speaking about a, a doctrine of you've got to bow. He's just one of his practices He spoke uh, even of uh, Ephesians, uh, the elders in Acts chapter 20, and how they knelt down on the shore to pray. So there's nothing wrong with kneeling down, but recognize that not everybody's going to be kneeling uh, when it comes to the prayer. Or there's standing up, sitting down, all kinds of different forms. And that's all that Paul is speaking about here. But it's important that we understand that Paul is uh, relaying to the church at Ephesus of a prayer that he is praying for them. And what is important is the content of his prayer, of what he is praying to the Lord on behalf of the church in Ephesus. And and oftentimes, we're in a situation that we don't know how to pray as we ought. Well, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, speaks about the, the Spirit of God helping us in our weaknesses. There is no reason that you should not know how to pray or what to pray for. If you are not knowing what to pray for or how to pray, I'm going to say you're not frequenting yourself in the Word of God. Because the Scriptures speak to us about prayer, about being people of prayer. It's the chief form of thankfulness which we owe to the Lord. Um, A a church that is not praying is, is a church that is irrelevant. It's not a vibrant church. It's not an active church. It's not a powerful church. It's a weak church. It's an insipid church. It's a complaining church. The church is to be a praying people. And when we pray, we are to be those that recognize the power of God working in and through the congregation and each individual member of the congregation as we pray. And God has determined to use as secondary means the prayers of His people to bring to pass His will. It's an amazing thing that we are involved in the will of God coming to pass in the life of a congregation through the prayers that we pray. And there are many times uh, that we recognize certain things have come to pass that we have prayed for for a number of months or maybe even a number of years. But let me ask you this question Paul is speaking here in our text about God's power. Do you believe God is powerful to work through the prayers of His people? Do you believe that God hears the prayers of His people? Do you believe that God is actively working in the life of His people through the prayers of His people? You know, that is important for us to understand and to believe, because apart from that, we're not going to be a praying people. If we don't think God has the power, the ability, or that He'll hear our prayers and answer our prayers, we won't be a praying people. And you're going to find the answers to prayer in Scripture itself. And it's going to stimulate and motivate you to be a person of prayer, because God certainly hears the prayers of His people. Paul's prayer here, and remember, he is praying this for the church at Ephesus, is that they would understand the length and the depth of the height uh, to know the love of Christ, right? And he's talking about an experiential thing in the life of the believer. That we would experience something of the depth of Christ's love for us. And that only comes, beloved... Through the working of the Spirit through the Word. Never are they divorced. They are always in conjunction. Spirit and Word. People talk about there's power in prayer. The power is in the Spirit. The power is always in the Spirit of God. Working through the prayers of His people. My prayers have no power apart from the Spirit of God. Who teaches me to pray in in accordance with His Word. Because if we ask anything according to His will, which is His word, then He hears us. So Paul's prayer is that we would experience a depth of the love of Christ that at least to this portion, he is saying the Ephesians haven't experienced. And he's wanting them to experience it. And obviously the Apostle Paul has experienced that. And he's wanting them to taste and see that the Lord is good. That the Lord is gracious. And he goes on and he speaks about a knowledge. And and as I said last Lord's Day. This goes beyond my ability to understand. David speaks about the wonder of God. That God knows a word on our tongue even before we speak it. How do you understand that? I don't. But I know that God knows all the things that are in my mind and He's known them from all eternity and He doesn't have to wait for me to say something to say, oh, okay, now I know what He was going to say. God knows all things from eternity. Known to God from eternity are all of His works, Acts 15. But the fullness of God, to be filled to the fullness of God, I, I... It's too wonderful for me. I can't attain to that. I apprehend what Paul is saying here. And as I said last Lord's Day, I want to say that it means that it's like taking your glass to the ocean and dipping your glass into the ocean. I don't have all the ocean within my glass, but I have all that the ocean is within my glass. But that's not what Paul is saying. And beloved, I can't can't go there. I can't plumb that. It's, it's too high and too deep for me. I would love to be able to understand. What does it mean to be filled with the fullness of God? All the fullness of God to dwell in us. Well, I'll tell you what it's like. It's like Christ. Because that's exactly what the scripture says. That He was filled to all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It's like Christ. It's to think godly thoughts 24-7. It's to love with an unconditional love. It's to be merciful and kind and gracious and long-suffering. It's to be joyous that knows no bounds because you are filled without limit with the fullness of God. I have not experienced that. I would love to experience that. And yet, that is what Paul is praying here. Now, think about the Ephesians at this point saying... Wow, Paul, what are you talking about? That's way too deep for us to understand. And Paul, and Paul then brings this forward about God's ability. So let me ask you, beloved, do you think, do you believe that God is able to make all grace abound towards you and that you would be filled to all the fullness of God? Do you believe God is able to do that? It's important, isn't it? Are you restricting God? Is your prayers weak and insipid because you don't believe that He has the power to do so? I, um, I have a number of scriptures here, and this is going to segue into uh, my first point here that now to Him who is able. Paul said, God is able. God is able to make you come to the fullness of His being. He is able to fill you with all the fullness. He is able to cause you to understand, as He says here, the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ. He is able to cause you to experience the love of Christ in ways you have never experienced before. God is able. Listen to this. Matthew three verse nine for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Romans eleven twenty three. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, this is the Jews, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. Romans fourteen, verse four. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. Notice, God is able to do this. He is able to cause you to prosper spiritually. He is able to cause you to bear forth good fruits. He is able that you would have an abundance. Second Timothy, verse uh, one, or chapter one, verse twelve. Second Timothy 1:12. "For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. Notice that he is able to keep what I have committed unto him until that day." Hebrews 2:18, "For in him uh, he himself, for in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Christ is able to aid us, to strengthen us, to encourage us when we go through time of testing, temptations, trials. Matthew 10.28 Do not fear those who can kill the body and not the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Romans 16.25 Coming to an end here. Now to Him who is able to establish you according to my gospel... And the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.20, we read that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. And last one, now unto Him who is able to keep you from falling. Beloved, God is able. You have the confidence of God's Word. Through the ministry of God's Word, through the hearing of God's Word, the meditating of God's Word, it demonstrates to us that God is able. God is able to give you Courage. God is able to make you stand. God is able to make you abound in good works. God is able to make you understand the word of truth. God is able to give you the strength of faith that you would persevere and run the race that is set before you. God is able to cause you to stand firm in persecution. God is able. Now, when you take those scriptures and you meditate upon that word again and again, over and over, Revolving it around in your mind, spinning it over again in your mind. You know what it does? It makes you confident and courageous in in God. It gives us strength, and then we recognize more and more, and we're experiencing this, beloved. God is able. God is able to regenerate the soul, God is able to create faith in the heart. God is able to regenerate a man who is in rebellion against him and is a God hater and persecuting the church. God is able. And it's no great feat for the Lord. It's not like it's sweat equity. It's not like he is sweating to do it. God is able with a word. Think about what God has created. He's created all things in heaven and on earth, and he's done so with the word of his power. God is able to sustain all things. God is able to protect the church. God is able to keep you from falling. God is able to keep you in the palm of his hand. God is able. Our God is able. What a God. What, what an awesome God that we serve. You know, we, we'll read these things in Scripture, but when you bring them all together, and you congregate them all in one particular place, you know, think about this. You, you say, I'm a member of Hope Reformed Church. And when people hear you say that, they see one person. Okay. But then all of a sudden we congregate. Uh, wow, that's a, that's a nice congregation. Yeah, it makes a difference, isn't it, when you bring it all together and you start looking at all the texts that speak about God being able. And what the Greek term there, dunamai, means is that God has the power. He has the strength. He has the ability to do all of his good pleasure. And so Paul says, notice, this is the confidence that is given to the Ephesians with regards to his prayer about the Lord bringing the fullness of his being within individual members of the congregation. It's with the Lord causing us to experience the depth, the length, the height, the width, to know in an experiential way the love of Christ that passes knowledge. God is able to do that. There is superlatives that Paul brings together. Paul is a master at uh, the the Greek language, and he's a master at using uh, words, uh, which is called hypox he, he uses words where he, nobody else uses them. You can't find a comparison of what Paul said. I think he, just, he brings Greek words together and he just crams them together and makes a word out of it, makes a doctrine out of it. And it, it's interesting what he does is he adds the superlatives here. Wouldn't it be enough to say that God is able? But he doesn't do that. Not only does God have the power... And it's unto Him that we give glory. And God is able to do exceedingly, exceedingly. God is able, but He's able to do exceedingly. Exceeds, goes beyond what we can think or we can even imagine. And that's what Paul is saying here. He is bringing us, and it's really a doxology, isn't it? The theology that he gives in this prayer about the length, the depth, the width, and the height about the love of Christ and about being filled to the fullness of God. That theology and how that just oozes out of the pores of the Apostle Paul and as he pens that and brings this into inscripturation, it causes the people of God to then be elevated in doxology. Doxology, doxa, the Greek term, is to give glory, to give praise, esteem, honor, worship. This understanding of theology, beloved, takes us, when we go deep into theology, it brings us up high into doxology. I think this is the problem in the life of the church today. Last week in Sunday school, I had asked the question, uh, of, and I posed this, of where do you think we are with regards to uh, the church at maturity? And thinking about school system from kindergarten, you know, all the way up through high school or even college. And the statement was made elementary. That that's a problem. You recognize being elementary in our theology, in not knowing the truth of God's word, means we're going to have a shallow doxology. The deeper that we go in theology, which is the doctrine of God, it's knowing Him. The higher we are going to come up in praise. Uh, Just by an analogy, and I don't know why these come to my mind, but they do. I'm thinking about a pool. And somebody that goes down into the pool and goes as far down as they can to be on the bottom of the pool to get as much spring as they can to come up out of the water, right? And that's kind of what I'm trying to relay here is that we go deep to come up high in our doxology of God. And that's what Paul does. Paul in Romans chapter 11 does that same thing. He comes with some deep theology in Romans 11, and then he comes to the end of it and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and his praise, or his, his judgments past finding out. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he would instruct him? Who has first given to him that it should be recompensed to him again? For of him and through him and to him, to all things belong to the Lord, to glory to God. He goes down and he comes up in this praise of God. Maybe the church is not coming up as it should. Because we're not going down in theology as we ought. We're not reading. We're not studying. We're superficial. We're light and fluffy. I heard a minister this morning say that he thought statistically about 5% of those who call themselves Christians actually purchase books and read theological books. Maybe the takeaway of technology, maybe too much technology, maybe the phones are distorting our depth of theology. It's a good tool, but it's abused, isn't it? We play games and toys, and it's, it's used not as, a, as an instrument, to be able to grow in grace and knowledge and understanding and to communicate and toss that back and forth with one another. No, it's, it's used as, as gaming, uh, playtime. And we talk about the phone being used to, so I can, I can organize my life and it, it could be easier in my life. No, you become a slave to your phone. I tell my daughter, it's her third arm, which is like attached to you everywhere you go, right? Maybe that's our problem. Maybe too much TV. And you say, well, you're the one quoting the movies all the time. Uh, there's a time and a place, right? And I'm not against movies. And I'm not against the phone. But I am against a, a, a congregation that doesn't know its priorities. We've got to know our priorities. We've got to know what comes first. And I don't know if we're there. Because children, elementary kids, they don't know that, do they? They don't understand that. And there's no reason for that. The Apostle Paul said, "In malice, we're to be babes. We're to be elementary in malice, but in understanding, we're to be mature." Solomon, in a Proverbs four said, "In all of your getting, get wisdom, get understanding. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You cannot be wise without Christ, beloved." You must have Christ to be wise. You must have the word of Christ if you are going to be wise. Job 28, where is wisdom to be found? It is found in the Lord. It's the Lord who dispenses wisdom. We need more of it. We need lots more of the wisdom of God in our lives. And beloved, God is able to do this. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. I started thinking about creation. That God has created everything that exists. And have you seen the wonder of God's creation? Have you just stopped and observed the things that God has created? From the creepy crawlies of the earth, things that are insignificant. I caught a ladybug. I mean, it, it, it was in my house, right? It was in my house for a couple of days. And I finally said, I'm going to put it in a jar. Now, what do they eat? I don't know. I had never owned a ladybug before. But as I told my wife, look, she doesn't talk back. She doesn't nag. Easy to feed. too." So, so anyway, I, I, I looked it up. You know, they eat honey, and they eat aphids, and they eat apples. Well, I put a little honey in there, and I, I don't think that that ladybug got off of that piece of honey For about four or five days. I mean, this is like sucking the life out of that thing. It's a wonder. God created it. It's got wings. You know, I mean, next thing you know, where did it go? How did it get out? Um, The Lord created that. What a wonder of creation. God is able to do that. What do you do with a bird that dives and it comes 70, 80, 90 miles an hour and hits head on into the water? And next thing you know, it comes out with a fish. How does it do that? If you ever look down and you thought the fish was right there and it wasn't because of the, the refraction that goes on with the sunlight and with the water and it's not exactly where you think it is and yet a bird, boom! And it, there it is. How does it do it? God is able to do that. God is able to make a hummingbird. As a matter of fact, like 300 different species of hummingbirds. Then He creates all the different flowers for each one of the different species of hummingbirds so they're not all contending for the same flower. God is able... To do this, he's able to bring Christ up from the dead. He's able providentially to work all of his good pleasure. He is able, then, to build a kingdom uh, which has its maker as God. That is preparing for his people. A wondrous, glorious kingdom of righteousness. As Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you. And I will come again and deliver and bring you unto myself. He's going to deliver the kingdom to us. God is able to do this. Jesus Christ, when He walked upon the earth, fully God, truly God, truly man, He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He asked the question, do you believe I'm able to do this? He said to the blind man. Yes, Lord, I believe. Here's me, right? Help my unbelief. Because there's a skepticism. Can He really do it? Will He do it? I'm to be patient in adversity. I'm to be thankful in prosperity. And for what is future, I am to have good confidence in my faithful God and Father that nothing will ever separate me from His will. Why is that? Because all things are so in His hand, without His will, they cannot so much as move. He is able to do this. He is Almighty God. He's willing, He is a faithful Father. The church needs to get back to the Word of God to then we come up high with praise and doxology, experiencing this love and this knowledge that Paul is praying for the church of Jesus Christ. This is what we need to pray for one another. I said last time, if you don't know what to pray for me, pray this for me. Get in there and pray verse 17 and 18. Christ dwells in my heart by faith, but I want to experience a greater measure, a greater depth of the love of Jesus Christ. To know, even as the Scriptures speak and the confessions reveal, of the cry of Christ from the cross, of what He actually experienced. Do you realize that, beloved? Do you realize that He suffered the second death in our place? We think about the depths, the inexpressible anguish Pains and tears of the cross. You can't express it. It be goes beyond the ability of language to communicate what Christ suffered on the cross. And yet, Paul's prayer is that God can bring us to an experiential understanding of the depths, even of the suffering of Christ. We can recognize. It's not that you go through that suffering... But you can, by the work of the Spirit through the Word, come to a greater depth of what Christ suffered on behalf of His people. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. (laughs) This This is where Paul is jamming the words together. Not just exceedingly, not just abundantly, exceedingly abundantly. Abundant in all kinds of fullness He is able to do. What can't God do? Now you know it's always, you've got to be careful when you say that God can't do something. And there are things that God cannot do. God cannot violate His own will. God cannot create another God. God by nature is uncreated. God cannot lie. God cannot repent. He cannot turn. He cannot change. But when we speak about what God can do, he posed that question to Sarah and he said, is there anything too hard for the Lord? God can do all of his good will. And this is what Paul is saying, above all that we ask or think. So why I said, beloved in the beginning, do you believe that God is able to do these things? Do you have confidence that God is able? Let me ask you this personally. I mean individually. Are the things that you don't pray for because you don't believe that God can bring them to pass? Jesus tells us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. James says we have not because we ask not. And oftentimes we ask and we ask amiss, wanting to spend it upon our own lust so we don't get. But we don't have because we don't pray. Why is it we don't pray? Why do we not ask the Lord? God has revealed the wondrous things that He does. How many of you stop praying for some of your relatives? How many of you stop praying for maybe your children who are wayward? How many of you just resolved to throw up your hands and say, God's not going to do anything about that. And you've lost then the confidence that God is able and willing to do it. Paul is wanting us to have comfort and confidence Of knowing that God hears and answers and responds to the prayers of his people. And so he goes on and he says, according to the power that works in us. Notice that this power works in us. What is this power? What is this dunami? What is it? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when he says that God is able to do above what we ask or think with exceeding abundance. That is the power that works in us. And that power is making our minds more and more like that of Christ. And when that happens in our lives, beloved, we know, we declare with a loud voice that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. And I will come to Him with all kinds of prayer because my God is able My God will do all of His good pleasure. My God will sustain the church. My God will sanctify His people. That is His will. That we be sanctified. That we grow in grace. That we grow in knowledge. It is His will that we grow in an experiential love of Jesus Christ. This power that works in us. This is the Spirit working through the Word. You know, 2 Corinthians 3, I I love that text. That as the Apostle Paul is using, by analogy, Moses on the mountain with the Lord. And as Moses is there 40 days and 40 nights, he comes down off of the mountain and he's glowing. His face is radiant. He has been in the presence of God. So much so that the children of Israel were terrified. They could not look upon Moses. They said, put a veil upon your face. But that glory was fading away. What we find in the New Covenant is the inward man is being renewed in glory day by day. It's growing in glory. It's growing in holiness. But what Paul says there is that as we behold Jesus in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed. That English word transform is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 12 about being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Metamorpho. It means the complete change. There is a change it looks different. The people think different. There is a change of the way that I think. Like a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's the metamorphosis. That's like the believer. The mind begins to change as we behold Christ in a mirror the glory of God now I see that text and it's simple it's simply saying meditate in the word be in the word see Christ in the word and like Christ you will become but it is so profound there is so much depth the profundity with that text it blows the mind how is it That I am reading the Word of God and the Holy Spirit is forming and fashioning me more and more after the image of Christ. So I'm thinking like Christ more and more as I'm beholding Him. How does that work? I don't know. But God is able to do it. And He does it. And He's doing it, beloved. And we need to pray more and more that God would do that in our individual lives and the life of the congregation. And He says, lastly, to Him be the glory in the church. We gather this morning, and every Lord's Day that we come together, we come for the glory of God. We come to give Him praise and adoration and reverence and obedience and adore We come to adore Him. That's why we come. We don't come for ourselves simply. We come for Him. We come to worship Him. We come to give to Him the glory that is due His name. The glory in the church. Again, doxa, glory. The weightiness, the heaviness, the adoration, the esteem, the love, the affection, the worship of the God that we love. We come to give that to Him. Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due His name. Beloved, that's our worship. God is able to cause us to worship in that way. And it's by Jesus Christ to all generations. It's a great thing to see generations in the church. Grandparents, parents, children, grandchildren. And it goes on. And God is glorified. God is exalted. And we continue to teach our children. God is able. Scripture says God is able. We believe the Word. We believe what God says in His Word. And He is able. And He will do all of His good pleasure. And we will keep on coming to Him We need to be like the importunate widow to keep on knocking, get justice for me. And as an unjust judge says, this woman is wearing me out. I'll give her what she wants because she's wearing me out. Jesus uses that as the the example of prayer for the people of God. Keep on coming, beloved. Keep on storming the gates of heaven with your prayers. This is honorable to God. This is what He calls and He is able to answer. And He is to have the glory from generation to generation Forever and ever and ever and ever. Do you believe God is able? If you do, you're going to be a person of prayer. If you believe God is able, you're going to go deep in theology. Why? Because he is able then to bring us high in doxology. And this is what our God rejoices in. Is the prayers and the praise of his people. He is exalted. He is honored. He is adored. He's reverenced as we go deep and come up high with praise to him. Beloved, God is able to comfort you in the worst trial that you can go through. He is able to give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. How does he do it? I don't know. I only know that he does it. God is able to turn the most horrendous event in your life for your good. How does he do it? I don't know. But I know that he does. And I know that He is able. And if you're praying and it doesn't come to pass the moment you thought, beloved, you are to submit to His will. It should not be for a lack of thinking He is not able to do it, or He is not willing to do it, but that He is able to do it and we wait upon His will. Because He certainly is able. Let this be the praise of the church that our God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To God be the glory in the church to every generation forever and ever and ever. That's Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. Let this be our prayer for Hope Reformed Church. Amen. Shall we pray?